Hey everyone, welcome back to a new video. Before we get into the stories, I did want to mention a couple of things. I need to give trigger warnings for two of the stories in this video for sexual assault. The first story, and the last story. As always, I'll have timestamps in the pinned comment, and I'll have these stories labeled if you want to skip them. I also incorporated a paranormal story in here as well, just to switch things up a bit. All that being said though, I hope you all enjoy these stories, and if you have a scary story of your own that you would like to submit to me, you can do so by sending it to southerncannibal.com. All that being said, let's get into the stories, and remember, as always, stay hungry. I've been a long time listener of what I would call spooky YouTube or horror narrations, so I thought it was finally time for me to tell some of my own scary stories. This experience is more of two intertwined creepy stories. These stories aren't necessarily horror stories, but they are creepy and unnerving. This is going to be a long one. It takes place over a decade, from the time I was a theater slash drama camper at age 12 to the time I was a counselor at 15 and on the board of the nonprofit that ran at 18. So I'll try to keep it succinct, but it's a doozy. I'm now a 26-year-old female. As a trigger warning, the story contains mention of child sexual assault. There are several people involved. For simplicity, I'm going to name them counselors for our group of drama cam counselors. Mama for the angel of a woman that was the oldest counselor and the VP of the nonprofit in camp. John for the director of the nonprofit in camp. And Andrew for the dance teacher. The camp was hosted at my high school, a private school for grades pre-K through 12. So many of the campers attended school there, while other campers were able to attend camp for free as part of the nonprofit's commitment to teaching theater to children on free or reduced lunch programs in the county. All the campers were between the ages of 6 and 14, divided into groups for elementary and middle school students. In about 2008, I started attending the summer drama camp that John ran through his nonprofit organization. Andrew was the dance teacher and choreographer, and several other future counselors were also campers. Throughout the years, the counselors and I attended summer camp and various theater and dance classes throughout the school year under the same organization. The camp ran from 10 weeks from 8.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Monday through Friday, with a full musical production on Friday nights. Most of us attended the camp for three or more weeks each summer and have a lot of great memories growing up there. From 2008 to 2011, I attended this camp and counselors overturned every year. Each year, there was a new vice president of the organization that was supposed to eventually take over the nonprofit when the director wanted to pass it down. As a kid, I didn't really think anything of the turnover, assuming they were just kids of the school where the camp was hosted at that were graduating, but two people stayed the same, John and Andrew. Since a lot of our songs and dances repeated year over year, when I became a counselor at 15, Andrew appointed me as assistant choreographer for the elementary group. I was also dating a guy about three years older than me, who turned out to be incredibly abusive and gave me a lot of trauma, which will be relevant for later. When we broke up, I was 16 
and I started dating one of the counselors. I had two boyfriends during this time period, and they have the same name, so I'm going to refer to them as number one and number two. Number one being the abusive one. At ages 15, 16, 17, and 18, I continued to work at the camp five days a week for 10 weeks every summer as a drama camp counselor, art teacher, and assistant choreographer. There are two storylines here, John's and Andrew's. I'll go into John's first. As counselors, we started to notice small changes in John's demeanor. He would say incredibly rude things to the younger kids, such as, who here rides the shore bus? To a group of first and second graders when they didn't perform to his standards during the rehearsal, as well as during a round of post-show improv for the parents pretending like one of them was giving birth and he was going to catch the baby. Yeah, red flags everywhere. Remember when I said there was a lot of VP turnover? Well, when I was 17, Mama was appointed as the VP. She is an absolutely incredible and strong woman that I still speak to today. John was planning on moving out of the city within two to three years of her appointment, so she was set to take over. During the time I worked at the camp, John lied about our pay, but would have talks with us about, and I quote, being too good of friends with the younger kids. Mostly aimed at me because I nanny two sisters so often that I basically helped raise them after their dad's death and now see them as my own sisters. And he would leave for hours or weeks at a time, leaving us with no information on where he was or when he was coming back. More red flags. Biden, we figured he was just checked out due to his upcoming third wedding and move. There's a lot more that I don't remember, but there were so many that the counselors actually made a John Bingo game of all the really inappropriate or weird things he would do. One night, John completely lost on one of the counselors, holding us at the Friday night show to scream at us for something or other, making fun of our parents, and making one of the younger counselors cry. Mama stood up to him for us until he left, and then comforted us all after. Shortly after this, Mama came to us and she told us that when she asked to see the finance books, he started acting very sketchy and wouldn't give them to her. She somehow found them and she saw that he was using the organization to back up his own personal finances, but also found that he had forged her signature on his mortgage. In parallel, we found out that he committed tax fraud on the counselor's paychecks, and we had to have an attorney review our taxes and advise us on how to file them so we wouldn't get into legal trouble. Once she found this, she spoke with him in a panic. He then asked my boyfriend number two and me to join the nonprofit's board of directors so that he'd have a quorum at the emergency board meeting that he was calling that day. As seniors in high school, we thought it sounded really great to add to our college applications, so we said yes. In a Jekyll and Hyde kind of way, he then turned incredibly intimidating, and he told us we needed to second the proposal he's making during the meeting, and if we didn't support him, our theater class grades would suffer. So naturally, we said okay. During the meeting that he didn't invite Mama to, he proposed firing her for a reason that he made up. He glared at us to second him, with him staring me down as I sat on the edge of the stage that I grew up on, I heard myself in a low voice say, Second, she was removed from the organization, reported him to anyone she could, and before he could face any kind of legal consequences, he dissolved the organization, 
quit from teaching at the school and moved six hours away. None of us have spoken to him since this in 2014, and his two sons that were counselors with us also have limited contact with him. That piece of the story isn't super scary, more weird and almost comical looking back on it, but the truly unnerving story comes from Andrew. As a refresher, most of us knew Andrew since we were kids. I still remember a few of the dances the two of us choreographed together, and my memories overall of him are very positive. One summer, boyfriend number two and I were running the sound for Andrew's dance rehearsal with the elementary campers. We knew he was a photographer as a side job, since the nonprofit didn't pay him enough to support his ex-wife, who walked in on him with a man and his two children. The music was playing from his iPad, so he gave number two and me the passcode to be able to control the music. Well, number two decided to do a bit of snooping and found nude photos of my first ex-boyfriend, number one. Obviously, this was a bit of a shock. The man that I grew up with has nude photos of my ex-boyfriend. Okay, pretty weird, but to each his own. Number one was older than me, and I threatened to get an order protection from him, so we hadn't been in contact for at least a year at this point. We told the other counselors about our findings, but never mentioned it to Andrew. Other than this, we never saw any red flags with Andrew. Fast forward to 2019. We're all in our earlier mid-twenties. Number two and I have been broken up for two years and hadn't spoken, but the rest of the counselors, including Mama, had a group chat on Instagram where we'd check in on each other occasionally. We were all out of college and moved out of our hometown, so we didn't really talk much but I really like to reminisce when we had time. In August 2019, I was scrolling through Facebook and then saw a news article from our hometown paper, then titled, Our Hometown Men Suspected of Multiple Sex and Voyeurism Crimes, with a mugshot of Andrew. The article said he was arrested on three counts of sexual battery, one count of sexual battery of a person age 12 or under, two counts of video voyeurism, and one count of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. I circulated the article with the counselors, and we were all in shock. None of us saw this coming. We never felt groomed, manipulated, or any inappropriate behavior from him whatsoever. He was never even close to being as inappropriate as John was, so it took a lot of time and discussion for us to process this. The article explained then he apparently placed a clock with a hidden camera in the bathroom facing the toilet, as well as a shower of a couple, allegedly assaulted males and females with undisclosed ages, and provided alcohol and weed to the people involved, including minors. He allegedly sexually assaulted the victims after getting them drunk and high, would give them massages, and would touch them inappropriately during said massages. He admitted to some of the crimes, but not all of them. We followed his case, his original arrest report stated that he had nude videos of two children under 11, as well as a 17-year-old, among others. Throughout 2020, he was serving in county jail, went through multiple attorneys and judges, and built a pretty big rap sheet of guilty adjudications. In September of 2021, he was found guilty of 10 counts of possession of obscene material, three counts of sexual video voyeurism of victims 17 years old or younger, and three counts of touch or strike battery. 
three counts of sexual assault of a minor under 18, and one of a minor under 12, and a charge for contributing to the delinquency of a minor were all dropped. Because of the drop charges, he's only serving 25 months in county jail, with time served. He's said to be released from the jail this fall, and is not currently a registered sex offender. So yeah, a group of six people that grew up with this man, and an adult that mentored us, never saw any red flags or signs he was capable of this. This has caused me to have a lot of distrust in adults for my own future children. This man committed serious acts against children that were our age when we met him, and is facing relatively minimal repercussions for it. It really goes to show you that people are capable of anything, and your next-door neighbor or childhood dance teacher could be a pedophile, protected by attorneys that get them off the hook from the sex offender registry. Be safe out there, and always watch for red flags. When I was a child, probably around five to seven years old, I was playing in the streets with some of my old neighborhood buddies and my siblings. One day I came across one of my neighbor's front yard, and I noticed that he had a large rock. As a Little Mermaid fan, I've always wanted to look like Ariel, wanting to do every single thing that she does, by learning how to swim, sing beautifully, and also sitting on the rock while singing Part of Your World. One day, I stupidly went in his yard to get on that rock and pretend to play Ariel. I don't know what happened at the time, but all I remember was that I saw an old white man standing in his doorway. I can't really remember what facial expression that he had on his face when he saw me on his front yard, but whatever. Being the hard-headed child I was, I proceeded to sing Part of Your World. That is, until one of the neighbors or one of my family members then grabbed me away from his yard and brought me back to my parents' house. I can't remember if I ever got in trouble for that mere event, but I never got on his yard again. Well, years later as I grew older, I had forgotten all about that part when I went into the neighbor's yard to sing part of your world, until one day when I was running errands with one of my siblings and just chilling in the passenger seat, just talking about anything random until my other siblings sent a website and a picture to our group chat about registered sex offenders in our neighborhood. I clicked on it to see what it was about until I saw a red mark on one of the houses. I got curious, so I ended up asking one of them which person owns the marked house. They told me that the person who's a registered sex offender was the guy who owns the house with the rock in his front yard. When she said this, I was frozen in horror as it was all coming back to haunt me when I was puzzling this all together. Later on, I told one of my relatives who's about the same age as me all about it. They told me, you're really lucky that he didn't do anything to you. If no one ever caught you in time, things would have definitely gotten worse from there. But you're safe now, so don't worry about it. To this day, I still get chills down my spine knowing about my neighbor's past. To anyone out there, please keep a very close eye on your kids. You may never know the intentions of someone who's been around for quite some time. And just because they're your neighbors, that doesn't mean that they're always going to be trustworthy. When I was around three years old, my parents were in a business that would assist in the cleaning of foreclosures. 
This was around 2009 and during the recession. Well, around that time, there were many properties foreclosed on. Money was tied, and my parents didn't really have anyone else to look after me. So I was brought along to many of the jobs throughout the years. Anyways, my parents got a call to a home in a well-established neighborhood in Wee Ridge, Colorado. From the outside, the house really looked to be like your everyday home, but all of us were wrong. A lot of the furniture was already removed, although some remained, and the house was quiet, but a very off-putting quiet. The house had one level. When you walked in, you would see a front room. Straight ahead was the kitchen, and also to the left was the garage, and to the right was the hallway, which had four doors. This will make sense later. Of course, me being a three-year-old in an empty house was a dream come true, but I vaguely remembered that I would try and stay in the car as much as possible, or I would cling to one of my parents, whichever room they were in. I still remember the feeling of being watched and unwelcome, but my parents just took it as me being a little kid, so they continued. The job seemed pretty easy to my parents at first, but it would soon turn into a seemingly never-ending job. A freshly mopped floor would get dirt tracked back in within minutes after cleaning it. Doors would slam with no windows open, and little things like cleaning supplies would go missing. Everyone just shrugged it off as something being misplaced. Or of course I would get blamed for it, because kids like to touch things. I knew something wasn't right, especially after helping carry the trash to the dumpster outside. The three of us were there, and no one else was present. But when we walked back in, the front entrance had dark boot prints that had trailed throughout the recently mopped floor. Of course, my dad went to check the house, but no one was there. Little annoyances like this continued to happen while my parents continued the thorough cleaning of the house. But the day that I remember quite vividly was when my dad was changing smoke detectors and I was sitting there watching him. We were then interrupted because my mom called my dad to the garage. I look back on these memories now, and I really realized just how dark all of this truly was. When we walked in, we were met with my mom staring in shock at one of the supports of the garage door, which was a broken rope. There was a suffocating feeling of dread that filled that room, and I could feel that something horrible had happened. I have my own theories, but I may never know but I truly believed that someone had committed suicide and that this is why the house now needed to be cleared and cleaned. After that, my dad and I went back into the hallway to finish up the smoke alarm, but I was standing there in my own little world. Mav, did you take the smoke alarm? My dad asked. I snapped out of my daydream. No, I shook my head. My dad was annoyed and left at that moment to go and try and find it leaving me alone. I remember feeling as if something was present, although it was only me in the hall, and then seeing a shadow come from the end of the hall towards me. As it slowly tried to make its way towards me, the hallway seemed to be consumed by the shadow, and the doors began slowly closing shut. I still have dreams of this almost 15 years later, and although the shadow should have been scaring me, I wasn't afraid. I kind of just watched it until my parents came in to look for the smoke alarm. It ended up vanishing, but the hall remained drained of all the light, 
my parents ended up completing the job, although it took weeks, and the house was eventually put on the market. I still think about it, and that spirit that approached me that day. If anything, I feel sadness. They seem to be trapped, and if anything, violated. This is only one of my many stories from foreclosures and my childhood in general, and I hope everyone takes caution to respect those who are alive, as well as those who are no longer with us. I've never shared this story before. My name is Isabella, and I was visiting my dad's house over summer break when I was about 13 years old. My siblings and I like to play manhunt outside at night whenever I would visit them. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically hide and seek plus tag in the dark. I personally don't like hiding with someone, as usually it's easier to get caught. At my father's house, I have five other siblings, three sisters, one brother, and one stepbrother. One of my sisters was it, so the rest of us fanned out to hide. I started running down the dark street where I felt none of my other siblings had run off to, and turned a corner to hide next to one of the neighboring houses, as there were no lights there and seemingly was void of anyone else. I ducked into the shadows against the house, waiting to see if my sister was going to pass by. When I felt someone cover my mouth and grab my waist, and pull me back into them. I looked up at the figure, and it happened to be my stepbrother Christian. My body relaxed when I saw his familiar face, but began to tense up once again when I then realized he wouldn't let me go. I opened my mouth to ask him what he was doing, but was interrupted as he turned me around to face him, and then picked me up and pushed me against the wall of the house we were hiding by. He tried to kiss me, and I pushed and kicked him until he let me down. I told him that was wrong, and he shouldn't do that because I was a sister. I walked away after that to find a different hiding spot. Christian was a lot bigger than me, and he was also about 16 years old at the time. He played a lot of school sports throughout the years, so of course he was also much stronger than me. I didn't feel like playing anymore after that, so I walked back to the house. But on my way back, he jogged right beside me with a smile on his face while whispering to me. You know you can't say no to me forever, and then ran past me to the safe zone. I walked back inside after that, and felt like it was over. Unfortunately though, it wasn't. On that same night, I woke up at around 3am to use the restroom. The one downstairs was broken, so I had to go upstairs to the one next to my stepbrother's room. Since it was late, and no one could possibly be awake at that time. I went upstairs. However, when I walked out of the bathroom, I then felt a hand pull on my arm, and before I could register what or who it was, he kissed me. My dad's room was upstairs as well, and I didn't want to get in trouble. So I whispered yelled at Christian, and then ran downstairs and went back to sleep. I called my mom the next morning to pick me up using an excuse as to why I no longer wanted to be there anymore. I avoided going to my dad's house after that, which wasn't that difficult, since I lived about three hours away with my mom and two other siblings. But of course, I couldn't avoid going to my dad's house forever. A few years pass, and I'm 16 years old visiting my dad's house for Thanksgiving. Everything was going well while we were all hanging out watching football, waiting for Thanksgiving dinner to be ready. 
Suddenly, I get a text message from an unknown number. When I open it, it's a photo of me from behind, bending over to play with my youngest cousins. It was accompanied with drooling emojis and a message that said, You look beautiful tonight. Seeing this completely freaked me out. I turned around and saw Christian sitting on the couch, just staring at me. I didn't realize that he had come by, since he no longer lived in my dad's house and wasn't there when I came. For the rest of the evening, I was super uncomfortable, and since he was my stepbrother, I kept it to myself, as I felt people would look at me differently as if I was inviting this behavior, or even worse, maybe they think I was lying. A bit later after dinner, I looked around and saw that Christian was no longer there, so I felt a sense of relief and went on about my night with my family. At some point, I needed to use the restroom, so I excused myself and I went upstairs. My dad no longer lived in the house where the original incident took place, and it just so happens that the new house had a similar layout. When you go into the bathroom, there's two doors, one letting you into the bathroom and a second one that separates the his and her sinks from the toilet and shower. I had locked the door behind me when doing my business. I finished up and opened the door to the rest of the bathroom that was now dark, but with the light from the toilet part of the bathroom, I could then see my stepbrother standing in front of the door that's used to leave the bathroom. This made me freeze in place. I began thinking to myself, I thought that he left. What the hell is he doing here? And why is he in the dark? At this point, I'm so shocked to see him that I can't even speak as he then walks up to me and then pushes me into the toilet section of the bathroom, locking the door behind us and turns off the lights. He pushes me into a corner and then starts caressing my arms and face. I feel myself shaking as he tries to escalate the situation by getting so close to me that I can feel his breath on my face while moving his hands down underneath my shirt while kissing my neck. I felt a sense of urgency and I moved my hands to his to try and stop him. He stops and smiles a creepy smile. He removes his hand from my shirt and then whispers to me, Why don't you get on your knees? In a demanding tone. Now I'm completely in panic mode because at the same time he's trying to push me down. I don't completely remember how I was able to get out of there without anything else happening, but I ran the hell out of there and back into the living room with the rest of my family. I had already told my family that I was going to spend the night, although now, I really didn't want to, but I figured my mom should be here to pick me up first thing in the morning, so everything should be fine. If I could take this decision back, I would. A few hours later, around 10pm, everyone started to leave and say their goodbyes while packing up some leftovers. It was actually a really nice night and I had completely forgotten all about the earlier events. Everyone except the few people who still lived in my dad's house had gone home, so I then took a shower, and I went over to the guest room where I was going to be staying the night at, and I hopped into bed, so full from the amount of food I had eaten just a few hours prior, and I drifted off to sleep. I was a pretty heavy sleeper at this time, only ever really waking up to use the restroom, but this night... I woke up to a really heavy weight on top of me. When I opened my eyes, I see Christian laying on top of me with his hand clamped over my mouth. He was completely naked 
while looking at me with the saddest look on his face. He begins apologizing to me profusely and confessing to me that he loves me and that he wishes we could be as close as we once were when we were younger. During his speech, I'm lying underneath him, unable to move and crying, begging him with a muffled voice not to do anything to me. But he doesn't listen and proceeds to undress me during my heavy crying. What happened next seemed to last for an eternity, but in reality, it must have only been a few minutes. I didn't get much sleep that night, and the next morning he wasn't at the house. I left with my mom, completely silent and angry and in pain. After that, I never slept over at my dad's house again, and I never went to that house unless I had driven there myself so that I could leave when I wanted to leave. I'm now 25, and up until recently, he texts me that he misses me, that he's never loved anyone as much as me, and he said that he wanted my first time to be special. I always block his numbers, but he continuously uses new numbers. I recently changed my phone number, so I haven't heard from him in a few months, and hopefully it stays that way. I eventually did tell my stepmom, and of course, through the grapevine, everyone knows now, but everyone just pretends it didn't happen, and they still invite us both to all the family gatherings and parties. Not a single thing was ever done about it. No thanks. Thanks.